Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. God, thank you so much for our time together. And Lord, as we finish the series of Revelation, my life has been forever changed by the outlook and the clarity that it has given me to live in in current days, Lord. And I pray the same for those that are here this morning. Well, this morning's message is entitled, The End Will Be a New Beginning. The End Will Be a New Beginning. And uh, we have slides on the screen for you to watch, uh, to take notes, or if you have the Bible app, you can go to the events and find our outline there as well. But here we are at the last chapter of the book of Revelation. What a journey it has been. If I remember correctly, this is the 27th message of 22 chapters as we have gone through Revelation. And my commitment as we went through that was not to try to go so deep to where we get down into theological discussions and into, uh, I guess you could say rabbit holes, but just get the, the nugget, get the, what we are trying to learn to live by. What is the so what of this passage? And so today, here we are at the last chapter on what a journey it has been. The Apostle John wrote this book on a prisoner's island, the island of Patmos, and he had his very inspiration from the very voice of God. His hand was guided by God himself. It is the revelation. The reason it's called revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ returning as king. And in a glorious story of hope for all who believe in him. You see, we have read about Jesus' call in the book of Revelation. The call to the seven churches, which represent all churches. The call to repent and return to him. The rise and the fall of a one world government of the Antichrist and one world religion. A thousand year reign where Jesus literally reigns on this earth for a thousand years. And now we see the arrival of what is to be our eternal home. Last week we studied what the outside of the New Jerusalem would look like. And today we take a peek inside its doors because we have seen the consequences of living for sin and our own selfish ways that lead to eternal separation from God. And folks, that is a place called hell. But we have also seen the beauty of the heavenly home for those who claim Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. As we begin, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And our first point for this morning is, Paradise is regained. Paradise is regained. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. So right here, if we take a few of these passages, a few of these phrases, the first thing that we see is the water of life, because... The terms river and light were used. They were common themes that John would use in his writing, even in the Old Testament, as the Old Testament writers would write. 
Uh, for example, if you go all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 3, where Moses wrote, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Jesus himself sat down with a Samaritan woman that was coming to get water in the middle of day so everybody else wouldn't see her because typically the women would come during the morning and get the water. She came after that and had a conversation with Jesus. And if you remember what Jesus said, he told her that if she would drink the living water that he's talking about, she would never thirst again. What a beautiful passage. That's in John chapter 4. But it talks about this river that flows from the very throne of God and the Lamb. He is the source. That is where the water comes from. It is not being mechanically held with a dam that man has created. It is not even a natural thing. It is just God. The water that we get is not coming from a water system. It is not coming from a, a community system. It is coming from the very throne of God. You see, in heaven, in our eternal heaven, the reason it says there will be no more sun and there will be no more moon, there will be no more dark, is because all of the light we will need and all of the water that we will need will emanate from the very throne of God. Also, it says in here, the tree of life. We see the tree of life return like the one in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Verses 22 through 24, God instructed Adam and Eve to eat from that tree. And so now we see in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, that the roads will be lined with trees of life that every month will give off a new crop. And it'll be beneficial for us. Imagine a large road of gold. Again, that's that's a good perspective, isn't it? What we treasure now and give as gifts will one day be asphalt. The roads will be paved with gold and a huge river going down the middle with the tree of life on both sides. We can try to picture it in our mind, you know. But no matter how great it is, the real thing will be much better. And notice where it says the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. I do not want you to think that that means that when we get in into heaven, we will be sick. Folks, when we go to heaven, death has been defeated. There is no more cancer in heaven. There is no more diabetes and a chronic heart failure and hard to breathe and lungs shutting down and, and bodies getting old and arthritis and all of these things that we deal with because the death process slowly works itself in our lives. The reason it is there, it means that the water of life will produce health and strength wherever it flows. It's not that we are sick, but the source of the strength will be in the water of life. Then we see in verses 3 through 5, it says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything. Take, take a minute to wrap your mind around that if you can. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. Well, who are His servants? It'll be you and I, prayerfully, that make it there. 
And they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Folks, the curse of sin that entered this world in Genesis chapter three, verses 16 through 19 at this point will be lifted. We can't even understand that because we will be living in a world that has no sin. There will be no more sorrow and pain in childbirth for women. Women are saying, Amen. No more friction between the sexes. The men are saying, Amen. The necessity of hard work and the, how we strive to put food on our table and provide for families and do work and, and do all of these things that we can to establish our living on the earth will not be a struggle anymore. We will not need to simply survive because God, just like when Adam and Eve were in the garden, everything that we need, God will have provided for us. And greatest of all, death. There will be no more death. Funeral homes will be out of business. There will be no more wakes. There will be no more receiving of friends. There will be no more looking at a dirt or a headstone of someone that you loved and miss them. That will be over. The curse will be gone. And it says that we will approach the throne of God and serve Him. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know about this going to heaven and serving Him. I thought we were going to sit on beaches and and ride on clouds and, and sip fruity drinks on the beach with our toes in our sand. There might be beaches there and there might be fruity drinks that you can drink. But our purpose there is not to go into some type of a hibernation. We will be there just if you remember, if you want to get a glimpse of what it's going to be like, go back to Genesis. Where again, God created Adam to tend the garden. God created Eve to help Adam. They both tended the garden. They served God and they did it joyfully without sin. We don't understand Serving without wanting to get something out of it. We don't understand serving because somebody told us to or because somebody pays us to. But one day, my friend, when we go to heaven because the the curse is gone, it is not going to be a bunch of boring sit down and have a long worship service for the rest of eternity. I'm a preacher and I don't want that. It is going to be a world that is active, vibrant, and living, and light emanating from the throne. The river of life emanating from the throne. And we will see one another. We will love one another. And we will serve one another. We will be doing the things we love. If you enjoy planting stuff, you may be planting stuff in eternity. If you enjoy driving, maybe we'll be driving in heaven. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's going to be better than what we have here. Those of, that we love that have gone on, they already are catching a glimpse of this. But today it gives us hope. And today it gives us something to strive for to know that as much as we struggle to understand God in this world, as much as we try to understand the culture of this world, we will never understand it because we are not citizens here. We are aliens and strangers. Our home is in heaven and one day we will be home. There will be no more loving God from afar. We will be with Him. We will see God face to face just as a child gazes into their parents' eyes. 
No more loving God from afar. We will see Jesus clearly because sin is done away with. We will see Jesus clearly because care and worry are gone. I don't know, when I read that, I think, man, that is awesome because I'm the kind of person that if I'm not worrying, I'm not wor- If I'm not worrying, I'm worrying because I don't have anything to worry about. I am a professional worrier, and it is one of these things that I deal with in my faith on a daily, minute-by-minute basis. Maybe you're a worrier too, but, but one day, worrier will not be a problem because we will be warriors, not worriers. We will no longer have to worry. We will see Jesus clearly because all of the idols are done away with. I am so glad I will not have to see one more Hollywood celebration show giving out one more trophy, one more speech, one more telling me what I need to believe because they're celebrities. We have no idols. The only word that we need is out of God's word right here. And we can... Read that. We can apply that. And we can demonstrate that to the world. Because one day all of these people that, as they used to say, think they're all that in a bag of chips, whatever that meant. Everybody that thinks that they own the world now will be sorely mistaken when the end days come. There will be no need for artificial or created sources of light. All light sources will be from the very throne of God. Verse 6. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Some translations say suddenly. I want you to understand that word suddenly does not... Some of it would read that and say, Suddenly, well, if it hadn't happened over 2,000 years, it ain't ever going to happen. The word suddenly does not mean like, boom, like this. It means without warning. It means it will happen soon. It means we always are looking for it to come. That's why even Jesus himself said he didn't know when he was coming. So we live every day as if it were our last. My friends, I know two things. Well, I know one thing because of two things. I know this. If Jesus Christ would have told us in Scripture when he was coming back, I would have waited to the last minute to get my stuff ready. How do I know that? Because taxes. Wait, wait to the last minute to do taxes. And also chores. When my wife asked me to do something, I understand that she, when she asks me, she means do it right now. Sometimes I need to be explained right now because I hear I'll do it later. But folks, there are so many people that are looking at this subject. They are looking at the end of the world. One, they deny it. Number two, they take it for granted. Number three, they say, oh, it doesn't happen. I'm not going to listen to it. It's not going to be true. But one day, it is going to be true. And if we knew what day was going to be our last day, we would wait till the very last minute to get whatever we needed to get, to get through. No, my friends, we don't. Wait for one day. We live every day as it is our last. And one thing is, consider the source of who you can trust. It says here that the Lord is the authority. Never has there been more people using the term fake news on all sides of the news cycle spin machine. 
But here's what you can know about this word right here. You know what the word says about itself? If you go to 2 Timothy verses 3 Chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So, my friends, as you look in your Bible and you read the book of Revelation, you can take everything it says in there to the bank that it is true if you believe That Jesus is the Messiah. If you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin and we celebrate Christmas because of what God did through the the baby Jesus. And if you believe in Easter that he arose for us, amen, we'll have a great Easter service. Nobody's flocking to a second coming service, are they? But if you believe in the birth, you believe in the death, you believe in the resurrection, you've got to believe in the return. It's Scripture. It's in there. We don't like to think about that. Many of us, I remember when I was a teenager, oh, Lord, please don't come back until I can get married. Oh, Lord, please don't come back until I can drive a car. Oh, does he care about those things? Well, maybe he does. But all of us have this one or two things. We say, hey, let me do this one more thing, God, before you come back. The truth is, we don't know when, but we know when it's time it will be. The perfect time. Also, we see in verses 7 through 11, blessed are those that obey. Blessed are those that are that obey. Some of you that have children, you will know this is that you always love your children. But boy, you love them extra special when they do what you ask them to do. (laughs) Boy, when they do what you ask them to do, man, they are like, oh, he's just a little angel. She is just spit right out of heaven. But then they become teenagers and they turn from angels to demons. I mean, I tell you what, they think they know everything. And y'all were just like it. And I was too. But the truth of the matter is, is that when they obeyed you, it just really showed their love and their respect for you. My friends, when we obey God's word, we are showing the very same love and very same respect to God our Father. He says in verse 7, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. For example, if you were to see a dead end sign that says, this is a dead end, there is no turnaround. The purpose of the book of Revelation is to lead you to trust and obey God. If you trust and obey God, you are going to read the book of Revelation, you're going to read the book of Genesis, and everything in between, and try your best to live out what God has called you and I to do. But the great thing is, it's impossible for you to do it on your own. You are going to mess up. But that is why we have the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us when we sin. But the book of Revelation is not to predict when Jesus Christ is coming back. The book of Revelation is not to create movies and genres of horror films and scary movies about what the end times are going to be like. The purpose of Revelation is to prepare us to love God, to obey God, so when the time comes, we are ready. Look at it as a road sign that says, no outlet or dead end. Meaning, folks, there is no way out of this. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are or how bad a person you are, how smart you are. Jesus is coming back. And the revelation paints a picture of consequences 
for your choice, either good or bad. Verse 8 says, I am John, the one who has heard all things. And I heard and saw them. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all those who obey what is written in the book. Worship only God. Just so you know, this is the second time in the book of Revelation that John was corrected. Do you realize the impulse that human humanity, you and I have to worship? We long to worship. But the problem is, is the devil scoots in other things for us to worship. Usually we worship ourselves, our schedules, our toys, our hobbies, all these other things. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are to worship only God. And what was happening here, John was taking a moment to worship the angel that was giving him the news. And the angel said, whoa, buddy, you don't worship me. You worship God. And I, I, I found, let me just be honest with you. I found that true many years ago when there were people that I really looked up to in ministry. I mean, really looked up to in ministry. And they, they fell short. And it had been easy for me to say, well, if they fell short, then what kind of God is there? And then I realized I didn't worship them. They taught me to worship God. That way, when... Someone before us falls and rises. It doesn't matter because we're not worshiping that person. We're worshiping God. Because here's the thing. It would have been easy for the angel to take the credit that John was giving him. But here's the thing about credit. If you take the credit for the good, then you shoulder the burden when it's bad. If you take the credit for the good, you shoulder the burden when it's bad. My friends only worship God. Verse 10 says, Then he instructed me, Do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. And let the one who is holy continue to be holy. What is it saying? People will do what they want to do, no matter how much of a warning and how much time God gives them. Folks, there will be no time for last-minute confessions when the great tribulation and judgment is over. You see those movies where, <coughs> maybe you've seen them, I've seen them, where they're on like a submarine or on like a boat, and the boat or the submarine starts taking on water because it hit a rock or a torpedo hit it or something, and all of a sudden, whoop, 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 they're all running around, and they start closing doors to compartment compartmentalize whatever vessel it is so it doesn't sink. And you see it, people just sliding right through the door right before it closes. There will be none of that in Revelation. You are what you are. Excuse my English. You is what you is. And you are what you decide. Verses 12 through 15. Look, I am coming soon bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. My folks, my friends, Jesus is coming and judgment is coming. The second of these three announcements of the imminent return of Jesus is found here. Why does he say this? Why does he say I'm the Alpha, Omega, the first and the last? 
the beginning and the end, because he is establishing his authority. Everything that he says in here is true because he is God. He's showing his authority. His return will not be debatable. It doesn't matter what our politicians think about the return of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what our theological circles think about the theological return of Jesus Christ. He is coming back. It is not debatable. It will not be ignored. And it is unstoppable. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Man, when you read verse 14, again, we see a callback to Genesis. We will be able to walk with God. We will be able to eat Fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all those who live a lie. Does it really mean that there's going to be chaos beyond the walls of heaven? Folks, there will not be people outside the walls of heaven because they will have earned their own place in hell. They will have reserved their own eternal bodies that are built for enduring torture for an eternity. These words are used not to describe the people outside the wall, but it is a, it is a picture. It is a picture of a future that represents the present. In other words, it represents those people that are rejecting God today. And Hold on a minute. I had to say, look, outside the city are the dogs. Whoa, wait a minute. I'm a dog lover. Don't you tell me there ain't going to be no dogs in heaven. Will there be pets in heaven? Will there be dogs in heaven? The truth of the matter is, Scripture does not specifically say that. But the reason the word dogs are mentioned here is because the term dogs was a derogatory remark. It was not literal dogs, but it was basically a, a term meaning that those people are morally impure. Many of the dogs of the day, when they were writing this, were scavengers and stray, and they ran along the cities. I can't imagine heaven without dogs because he created them. I mean, we know in Scripture that there will be lions and there will be lambs in heaven, so why not dogs? That's not the purpose of this message, but I just wanted you to know that dogs, this does not mean that dogs won't be in heaven. It doesn't mean they will be either, but we'll see. Verses 17 through 19, we're coming near the end, folks. Revelation is God's final word and the, and the final word. It's not only God's final word, it is the final word. If you've ever had to ask your parents something and you say, why? And they say, because I said so, you know the discussion's over, right? This is pretty much because I said so. Jesus says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both both the source of David and heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add that person to the plagues described in this book. 
And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. So here we see Jesus restates his authority for one last and final time. By Jesus affirming he is the source or the root of David, that's a callback that is connecting him to the Old Testament. We see Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament and our Savior in the New Testament. And don't miss this. In verse 17 is the very last invitation. The very last chance for someone to be able to... He's saying, look, this is your moment. Do not let it pass you by. And this is the last word because Jesus said so. Folks, any attempt... To understand or interpret or add to the writings apart from Jesus is to prove one's lack of credibility. If you listen to people that teach and preach this and they take a couple verses and they go off on their own tangents and they start saying things that are very debatable, you stay away from those people because it is the scripture and the scripture alone that needs to be interpreted. Don't get lost in meaningless debates and doctrines that take you away from the central message of Revelation. And finally, you didn't think we'd get here, did you? The last two verses. He who is faithful, witness to all these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. All of God's holy people. When you see the term, Amen, come Lord Jesus, you will see, especially in books like Amos of the Old Testament and other prophetic books of the Old Testament, it talks about when the day of the Lord comes. This is what that that phrase means. The day of the Lord has come. The day of His return. The day that God's plan for us being redeemed unto Himself, the plan has finished and been complete. John responds to the Lord's declaration by saying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. John is answering Jesus' proclamation with, May today be the day you return. Let's bring this thing to a close. In whatever you do, may the grace of the Lord be with you. This was John's sign-off statement. How many of y'all read bedtime stories to your children or have done that? Do that? I bet that's awesome. I've got some friends that would tell me that they would read bedtime stories and often they would fall asleep with the kid in their bed for a while then get up and do their own thing. That's very sweet. But there's one thing about a children's story. You get to the last part and it says, The end. My friends, This is the end. And this is not a story just to be told as a fairy tale. This is an account of what will happen. Revelation closes God's plan to redeem his creation. Evil is gone forever. This world will end, my friends. But eternity, our eternity, will be forever. So my question to you as we wrap up. How has this book changed you? 
How can someone read this book, study it, and heed what it says, and not be moved? My friend, if this book does not move you to trust Jesus, to obey Him, and follow Him, I would venture to say that your future in eternity looks very bleak. If this won't get you, I don't know what will. My friends, Revelation is a book of hope. No matter what happens in this world, God was, is, and always will be in control. Evil may have its day, but it won't be forever. So Jesus is waiting, my friends. Jesus is waiting for you to respond. He's waiting for the signal for God to tell him to return. And he is waiting to be with you for eternity. I hope that you have accepted his invitation. And if not, may today be the day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could worship you this morning. And Lord, as we continue with our time of invitation, dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is one person here that does not know for sure that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity in heaven. I pray that today they nail that down. And for the many, many, many believers that are here today, I pray that they are encouraged to know that what they strive for and the trials that they go through and the things that are beat down upon us are temporary because one day it will get better because your word says it will. May they be encouraged. May those that are dealing with doubt and sickness, and despair. Know that these things have their day today, but they will not be forever. May you give hope to those who need hope. May you rescue those who need rescuing. And may you encourage us today to take this message outside of these walls. For it's in your name we pray. We're going to have a brief invitation. If you would, stand where you are as Donna comes up and leads us in Just As I Am. (laughs) 